Well, welcome back all to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, LICSWCST, which is Licensed Independent Clinical Social Worker and Certified Sex Therapist and Couples Therapist. And I'm here with my producer, Vicki. Hey, Vic, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Very good. I'm excited to be back podcasting. Yeah, me too. Me too. I heard you talking about uh, your tomatoes and you're watching Hamilton. I want to know what's going on with you these days. <laughs> I have watched Hamilton uh, four times since <laughs> it started what? streaming. Oh, wow. Yes, you like it, huh? I do. I'm a big musicals person. I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And uh, I mm-hmm. just love Lin-Manuel Miranda anyway. Yeah. Um, from, you know, he's just brilliant, but he's great. Yeah. yeah. So I've been watching that and I was so excited that my first tomato, I thought it was ready to pick. I picked it a little too early. I should have let it, <laughs> should have let it give it a couple more days, but that's all right. It was so good. <laughs> well, you can always fry those, right? Fried green yeah, tomatoes. Yeah. Fried green mm. tomatoes. Yeah. Also well, a great movie. <laughs> Correct. Very good. More entertainment. <laughs> Movies and musicals. Well, th- those are actually good, good things to pay attention to in uh, in COVID-19, right? These are yeah. ways to entertain ourselves and bring ourselves pleasure and passion and, and playing. You know, that's my motto, right? So that's great. Good. Are you reading anything in particular that's interesting now? I actually just bought a new book. I just bought Braiding Sweetgrass. Hmm. I haven't started it yet. Um, I've only, I will, I've read about three pages of it, but hmm. we'll, we'll see. I'll check back in next time. I'll let you know how it goes. Okay, <laughs> cool. What about Sounds you? good. Well, let's see. <clears throat> I have been um, doing a lot of walking. My husband and I had some fun the other day. We, we have this good friend. His name is Brian Steele. He's a composer, musician, writer, and um, he wrote a song and he's putting out a a new record of his originals. So he asked his friends if they would go out and shoot some video for him so he can put together kind of like a, you know, a video that goes with with the track. Um, So we went out, my husband and I, and we shot some video and we did some goofy stuff. We put on like wigs and costumes and nutties. That's awesome. stuff. <laughs> we just went out and had fun. Um, and yeah, so we did that. So that took like a half an afternoon. Um, and yeah, just, just walking a lot, uh, just being in nature is so lovely. Working a lot, of course. Um, but we're also into a lot of shows like um i mean we read you know i'm i'm a bit of a, a news nut um but uh, a couple of shows that we really are enjoying grandchester have you ever heard of this show no. what's it about um it's about a vicar in 1950s britain and his police detective best buddy he becomes his best buddy um and it's about their relationship but it's just the layers of um, their own individual experience, their their experience together in their friendship, what's going on in their own lives, um, just the yin and the yang, and the and the pull of the difficulty of morality and ethics and sex and relationships and what's right and 
where each of them is going in their lives, purpose, meaning. I mean, this, it's just rich and rife. And they really, they do such a great job exploring racism and uh, sexism and um, all kinds of really topics that are relevant today. So what was it called? Grandchester. It's actually uh, the name of a place in England. And Sydney Chambers is the vicar. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, we were watching this show before, and then I think it ended. There were four seasons, and we just discovered that there's a fifth season. So we've been heavy into that. That's awesome. Yeah. So what are we so, talking about today? Well, let's see. Today we're talking about what's hot and what's not in the happily ever after. Um, it's a piece on intimacy and sexuality. Cool. And, you know, we could talk about a bit about COVID and how that impacts couples today as well. Um, but I wanted to just talk about the difference between intimacy and sexuality um, so that people understand what happens in relationships. And I say this again and again, that so much is normal. It's just getting what's normal and what's not <laughs> for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so little is not normal. Um, and and there's this idea that um, sexuality, which, of course, we know is a part of, you know, being human, um, the sexuality piece in a coupling kind of comes first. And then we develop the intimacy later. Well, do I want to say it like that? Sort of, kind of. Um, you know, we, we're always sexual beings, but... The idea that the, the sexual reproductive phase is the first kind of way of being that couples are together. And it's actually just called reproductive sex. Um, and then to sustain that over time, uh, it's developing intimacy or this sort of taste or appetite for intimacy. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. But, um, you know, I have couples coming in saying things like, um, you know, why doesn't my partner seem to desire me as much as I desire my partner? Or, you know, why does my partner seem to desire me more? Or, you know, maybe I'm not in love anymore. Or they might ask questions like, you know, why doesn't my partner initiate more? Why does my partner need me to initiate? I just don't mm-hmm. care about sex. You know, all, all these issues. So, um, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the work in creating this happily ever after idea, or I, I like to call it uh, sexily ever after. Ooh, <laughs> woo! Um, you know, and and I've talked about this before. I'll talk it about. I'll talk about it again. It's you know, it doesn't come naturally. You know, it require intimacy requires work, but it's lovely work and it's worthwhile because it's a process of mastery, if you will. And, you know, we can think about mastery in anything, you know, think about your tomatoes, right? In your garden, whether it's outside in summer or inside in winter, um, you're, we're always mastering growing things if you're a gardener. Um, and I love hearing about what you're doing because it's, you know, you're developing yourself with this, right? And are you having fun, I hope, with it? I am. I'm having a great time while I, while I do that. So, <laughs> And have you found that it's also a bit of work and a learning it curve? It is. It's, it's actually... You know, a lot of research, like what is the best sunlight for this or the best, you know, environment for this plant? What should it be planted next to? What shouldn't it be planted next to? Yes. Um, How often should you water it? All those things. And yeah, and it's 
very similar to being in a relationship. You know, I'm in a relationship with my plants, the same that I'm in a relationship with my partner and just making sure the same thing is like, you know, what do you like to do here? You know, what do you not like to do? Like all of those things. So, yeah. And as a therapist, I'm looking at this, this kind of, it's actually an appropriate word, ecology, if you will, right? The ecology of a couple. You know, what environment are they in? What's going on in their world? Um, yeah, and how to germinate uh, the, the growth process for them uh, in terms of what we don't know and learning about that. So um, so it's really fun in, in getting to teach this, educate people. Um, I'm always looking in the background, too, for the connections back to family of origin, you know, how people cope, how people learned to cope growing up, how we've been shaped and all that. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was working with a couple recently and their goal was sex therapy coming in. Um, and they said, things are going better. They're not what we were thinking they would be in terms of the goal around sexuality, but they said our communication is greatly improved. So I asked them, I inquired and I said, well, so why do you think that is? And, and they said, well, you know, sex is something that we weren't used to really talking about. We would either like do it or not do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And like when we weren't doing it, we weren't talking about it. But now that you're encouraging us or the process is encouraging us to, to talk about it, think about it, plan it, um, all of that, fantasize about it, dream about it, et cetera, put your attention on it. It's helped us to just communicate. So that has um, sort of uh, just bled over into or, or just, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's just affected all the other areas in their relationship for the better. It's like a domino effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it, or a flooding effect. I think I was looking for that kind of word. You know, when we flood, this is an important idea in therapy. When we flood ourselves uh, with the things that we don't necessarily want to flood ourselves with, um, mm-hmm. then we get used to it. We develop at it. We desensitize to the fear around it and all of that. So it's it was really nice to hear that, that that with the idea of sex therapy, they were getting benefits in their in their couple's life. That's awesome. Too, or their relationship. So um, so getting back to the idea of you know sexuality and intimacy, uh, we sex therapists call. Uh, differences in in desire, we call it desire discrepancy, um, and uh, you know it's not it's not even. I mean, I think about desire discrepancy in terms of not just sex, but everything, right? So you may have more of a desire, Vicky, to plant and garden than your boyfriend, your partner. Mm-hmm. Do you? He's he's coming around. Let me tell you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's good. Um, but that's no, good. I think- no, I know what you're saying, though. Yeah, but initially, but yeah, it sounds like your interest was greater than his, right? Yeah. So, so this is, you know, not to put you on the spot here. Um, no, no, I'm, no, I'm no, not no. going to drag him into it here, uh, <laughs> unless he Surprise. wants to come on the show. <laughs> but yeah, it's just this idea that uh, you know, and I, I may have talked about this before. You know, I have a greater interest in yard work than my husband. Um, he has greater interest in cooking than I do. So that's a discrepancy in our desire for whatever the object is. Um, and that's okay. It's really normal. Um, and no two people in a dyad or a coupling are really ever going to be exactly the same in terms of desire. Um mm-hmm. 
So when we're talking about sexuality, it's the same thing. Um, and when we think that it is supposed to be exactly the same at the same time, this is where the problem begins, because there's a core belief that's just unrealistic, if that makes sense. We have this unrealistic do, expectation. I wonder where those core beliefs come from, like where they just originate from. Um because it's well, a myth, right? Because it's not, yes, you know. Yeah, it's a myth. Um, and there are so many. <laughs> and and where does it originate from? Um, well, here's here's how I'm thinking about that these days. <laughs> you know, the the universe is somewhere between 10 and 20 billion years old. So let's call it 15 billion, right? Mm-hmm. Um we have been on this planet, meaning they used to call it Cro-Magnon, now they just call it human. We've been on this planet for somewhere between 35 and 40,000 years. And um, so that is, when you do the math, 0.0007% of cosmic <laughs> existence, right? Casual. So it's, it's astounding. And then um, there's the idea that modern humans uh, with technology and all of that have been in existence for a, a blip of that amount of time. <laughs> so it's an even smaller percentage. So this, there's this idea that we're constantly evolving um, and, and the myths keep changing. So um, it makes me think about uh, the Good Wife's Guide. I think you mentioned to me, Vicki, that you know it. Right. There's a there's an NCIS episode <laughs> from a while ago where they touch upon the Good Wives Guide. Okay. <laughs> good so old it's really, NCIS. Yeah, some folks out there may know this idea that the Good Wives Guide was written in the 1950s, and it was how to be a good wife to your husband. So you know, in it they say things like. Um, Make sure that you run a dust cloth over the table before he arrives home. Uh, you know, make the evening his. Never complain if he comes home late or goes out to dinner or other places <laughs> of entertainment without you. Right. Um, and, and the one that I, I just really love the most is, you know, let him talk first. Remember that, you know, his ideas are much more important than yours. <laughs> So, you know, that, of course, just, you know, I was telling this to my, my 26-year-old niece the other day, and I, I, we were doing a Zoom call, and, and I could just see her mouth start to pucker. And, and the tension, you know, around her lip, she was like, what? Can, what? I don't understand. And I said, yeah, that's exactly the right response. But we didn't have that response in the 1950s, and that was only 65 to 70 years ago, right? Yeah. Um, so, so the point being that relationships are ever-evolving. And what we were doing 60 years ago is not the way that we're thinking today. You know, again, more women than men have master's degrees. Um, you know, women are, are equals to, to women men. Women are kicking days. butt. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> That's right. They are, they are uh, kicking some ass. Yeah. Dare I say. Yeah, it's true. <sighs> it's true. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, where did the myths come from? The myths come from fear, lack of knowledge, uh, institutions, um, you know, religion, places where we have these beliefs because they suit the functioning of the particular system. Um, you know, I will tell you that there are many tribes um, 
in Australia, New Zealand, um, where these these myths do not exist, and sexuality is not something that carries shame and stigma. Uh, that fathers and sons have very healthy tribal rituals when it comes to sexuality and um, rites of passage, and and it's just a very different kind of um, system, and it's it's he- a lot healthier in some ways. So, um, you know, Eric Fromm, this is something I wanted to mention. He was a social psychologist and humanist who lived from 1900 to 1980, I believe. And he wrote a book called The Art of Loving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's skeptical about this idea. He was. uh, He's no longer with us. But uh, in The Art of Loving, he talks about his skepticism regarding falling in love versus love. Um, mm-hmm. being helpless in the in the face of love. Um, he said, you know, here's his quote, because modern humans are alienated from each other and from nature, we seek refuge from our lonesomeness in romantic love and marriage. It's only through developing one's total personality to the capacity of loving one's neighbor with true humility, courage, faith, and discipline that one attains the capacity to experience real love. Something I hear a lot uh, entertainment-wise, which I feel like the entertainment industry definitely also plays a part in all of these myths that people have, whether it be books or TV or movies or sure whatever. Um, but all I, can, all I can think of when you were reading that quote is all of the shows or movies when they have that scene that seems to be in every single one where they're like, well, I love you. I'm just not in love with you. And that's all I could think of while you were reading that quote, Mm. because I feel like sometimes that is kind of people get a little nervous to kind of look deep into themselves at the things that they care about and why they care about them and, you know, whatever other reasons they enjoy or don't enjoy something. Um, and said that differentiating between love and in love is it's like a self reflective thing. It sounds like, you know, cause it takes a lot of self discipline and self, you know, realization to kind of really work on yourself. Does that make sense? <laughs> I don't know if that makes oh, sense, but I'm trying uh, to. <laughs> yeah, That's the crux of the whole thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Look, as long as we're picking, um, as long as we're picking a partner that, um, how do I say this? As long as we're picking well, um, meaning that there's enough uh, that you share together in terms of how you see the world, interests, things like that, mm-hmm. um, that's that's a nice thing to keep in mind. Um but yes, it's really about yourself. And if you're developing yourself, um, you're going to be good in relationship, meaning that um, if we expect too much from our partner, if we expect our, our partner to entertain us or uh, you know, keep us interested in, in life and the world, then it's an unrealistic expectation. We have to develop ourselves. So you know that quote um, about... Uh, bored people are boring. Mm-hmm. Like when people say, I'm bored, you know, yeah. kids do that, you know. Well, 
you know, figure something out so you're not bored. Yeah. You know, read a yeah. book, right? Uh, f- go do something that you find fun and interesting. Um, make it up. I don't know. Figure it out. Like that thing I did with my husband this week where we went out and acted and made up our own little video. I mean, it, it was totally silly, but we had fun with it. And right. Um, it, we entertained ourselves and, uh, you know, it was my idea. I made up all the stuff and the steps and the, you know, shots and all of that. And luckily he was open to my influence. Another thing that couples need to remember. And so that he went along with it and we both had fun. So, yeah, this, I, I don't know whether I'm answering your question, Vicki, but this no, idea that, yeah, th- this, this happily ever after thing is a myth. It's not like the reproductive sexual urges keep on going because over time the novelty wears away. Your partner is no longer novel after a number of months or a couple of years. And how do we sustain the interest in our partner is by staying interested in ourselves and life and not to be selfish in the relationship, but to be sharing of yourself for the sake of the relationship. And when I say yourself, I mean self with a capital S, meaning that you are really developing you. I'm developing me. So I bring all that to the table, and then we are enjoying life together rather than me being dependent on my partner for that stuff. Yeah. I think, is there anything off the top of your head that you would say to couples that might be struggling with that. Cause I know sometimes, um, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and I mentioned something, I, f- I forget what I mentioned. And she looked at me and she kind of said, well, you've never liked that before. And I said, yeah, well, I like it now. You know, I, I, I like it now. And hmm. it was just interesting. The res- the response was immediately negative where it was like, you've never liked that before. Why do you like it all of a sudden? I think it was a, it was something simple, like a food or something. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, and just her, her response kind of caught me off guard. Cause I was like, huh, since we've been having these conversations, I, I look at a lot of things differently. And mm. in that instance, I was like, I wonder why her response was so negative. So I asked her, I was like, Good. I feel like your response was really negative. Good. Why was your response so negative to that? Instead of saying, Oh, what made you decide to, try it again or something mm-hmm. when she didn't even realize her response was negative. So that like opened a different conversation for the both of us. But I feel like with, with huh. couples, if I were to relate that to being in a romantic relationship, if you've been with somebody for X amount of years, a very long time, and then all of a sudden something changes, maybe because that person is growing as a person or they've been trying to mm. read or they've been trying to experience new things that can mm. cause a rift, Right. It can. And I think I love that you're bringing this up because what I suggest and encourage couples to do is to find your partner uh, surprising, like allow yourself to be surprised by learning about your partner and how they're changing and evolving and growing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because if we have the attitude that somehow they're supposed to stay the same, well, this is not true. Um, we're all changing, evolving and growing. And, and what's a lovely idea is to be able to change and evolve and and grow, change, evolve and grow with your partner. Um, be curious, not furious. I think I've said that before. 
um, and be interested in what's happening for them because you may even learn something for yourself. Or now you've got something new to talk about because they're changing and evolving and growing and developing their interests. And I, what I love what you did with your friend is that that's what I would suggest to ask her about that, you know, to, to sort of, this is what I say to couples a lot, you know, acknowledge what you're feeling, right? So you experienced that with your friend. You had a particular feeling that perhaps there was a negative, um, edge to it or a bit of a maybe even a judgment and you know your friend of course did mean it I'm sure she wasn't even aware no Um, (laughs) yeah and and so um but you then you then you communicated it you said gee I'm I'm," however you said it you know this I'm I'm perceiving this as a kind of a negative um thing that you're saying to me and and I'm just wondering what that's about so you so you didn't take it personally Right. Not at all. Um, Because, you know, your friend loves you Um, and you were curious. So you acknowledged how you felt and then you were curious and you asked the question. And like you said, it led to, you know, a better a better exchange. And that's what I want couples to do. I want them. You know, the the problem for couples is that there's sex involved. Um, Right. So (laughs) the sex part is exact. Because imagine if all I could think of is just the horror. If you suggested something even or I know at least for me it would be horror if I suggested something and then I got such a negative response like why would you want to do that and I'd be like I don't I don't know like I would immediately get defensive so imagine you know yes and you know let me let me just kind of talk a little bit about um what I mentioned before the level one and level two models of intimacy that Mm -hmm. I that I touched on yeah so there's this idea that there's a guy named Dr. David Schnark or Schnarch. We, I've talked about him, him before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Dave. Um, and he wrote a book called Constructing the Sexual Crucible. Now, I don't recommend it to my clients because it's pretty heavy and thick and weighty and clinical. So um, he does have another book I do recommend to people called Intimacy and Desire. That's a little bit more user friendly. Um, but in, in the Sexual Crucible, he talks about Level, the level one model of intimacy. So that's more about reproductive sex. Um, it's more about um, being validated by the other. Are those ideas clear? Do you want me to expound yeah. on that? You okay. can expand so, on them a little bit. Um, just, so, yeah, yeah. Just expand. So, <laughs> uh, other, other validation is just this idea that um, we want to know that we're okay. We want our partner to say, you know, you're beautiful. I love you. All that stuff. Um, level two model of int- intimacy is when we're able to validate for ourselves. So when we can say to ourselves, I know I'm okay. I know I'm fine as I am. I know I'm loved. I know I'm approved of, you know, you know, your friend loves you, right? Right. Um, but with our partners, it, it's so difficult because sexuality or the intimacy with our partners leaves us vulnerable. It touches back to, um, just fears, old fears. Um, it touches back inside of us, leaving us feeling, you know, afraid. Um, when we're vulnerable, then we go into survival mode and we defend, we withdraw, we attack, we criticize, we, we shut down, we withhold, we stonewall, we do all that stuff. So, um, it makes it difficult. And when we develop ourselves and we start to become more confident uh, when we uh, start practicing things in life that interest us or we're, we're getting better at our work, we develop a, a level of competence 
And so we start to depend on our, our opinion of ourselves more, hopefully, than our partner's opinion of us. So we want to get to being more self-validating than other validating, looking for validation outside of ourselves. Because when we self-validate, you know, we're always with ourselves, right? <laughs> so right. we can always count on us. Uh, now, this isn't easy. I mean, I, I can just tell you about myself. When I was in my 20s and, you know, early 30s, forget it. I mean, I was... Not very good at self-validating. And in fact, you know, sometimes it still comes up. You know, this is a new realm for me doing this podcast, right, Vicki? Right. So you said to me, hey, earlier today, you said, why don't you kind of mention this to, to the folks? You know, I am having a little bit of performance anxiety, I notice, when I'm about to start recording with you doing the podcast. Because even though I know that I know the subject, right. um, I'm still... I'm still worried that this will be interesting to people, right? Mm -hmm. Or that um, people will get something out of it. They're spending their precious time listening to us, um, me, and um, I want to make sure that it's worth their while. And so it's the same idea with sex. If we're thinking too much about the other and their experience of us, it brings up anxiety, whether it's in bed, right, sexually <laughs> or in life. You know, I, I over time have been, you know, this actually just occurred to me last night as I was listening and, and reviewing and editing one of the podcasts that we did. Um, I, it, it dawned on me. I thought, wow, I, I was a singer. Well, I am a singer. Um, and I led a band in New York City for 25 years. And when I would do performances where people would be watching me and they were seated and they paid tickets, paid for tickets, there was a lot more pressure. There was a lot more performance pressure because they were looking at me versus when I would do private parties or weddings or we call them club dates in New York. They call them general business up here in Boston. <laughs> um, when it was that kind of an event, I wasn't nervous because I knew they weren't really thinking about me. They were thinking about the food. They were thinking about the event. They were thinking about their colleagues, the bride and groom. You know, they were so into all the other stuff that the pressure was off. So I never felt nervous. And I could um, really experience the, the music. I could experience the band members around me. I could experience my voice, my performance in a way that was relaxed, exciting, pleasurable, playful, passionate, right? As opposed to if if I was thinking about, uh-oh, what are they thinking of me as I'm doing this? The anxiety would, would go way up. Sounds like, so you, it's two different experiences, right? So instead of you being their entire experience of people that would purchase tickets and watch you, you are the experience. Right. But, you know, when you'd be at a wedding or something, you're just enhancing the experience that they're already having. And to me, that kind of sounds like a really nice parallel to life, right? So my boyfriend enhances my life, but he's not my entire life. And I know, yes. you know, something yes. like along those lines. Yes, that's a really nice point. Absolutely. That's right. I'm thinking about how we can, yes, uh, complement each other rather than, you know, be there for each other in a way that we we really need our partner. The comp the complimenting is important. Um, and to the point about sexuality, um, when and I'm and I'm talking about this in other podcasts regarding anxiety with sexuality. Um, when we're too focused on our partner, 
That's when when people have sexual dysfunction issues, meaning performance anxiety, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, orgasmic issues, et cetera. So, you know, when we're focused on our own pleasure in the moment, that's a really nice way forward into enjoying the sexual experience more. I mean, but but again, you know, it's it's twofold. Um, and there's this dyadic idea that there are two parts of the experience. Uh, one part is our own pleasure. Of course, we want to also give our partner pleasure. So it's it's a way of achieving balance. And, you know, every person is different. Every couple is different. So there's no one answer. Um, but there are concepts and ideas that we can follow. Um, what may What may be a turn on? or hot for one partner, right, may not be so hot for another partner. Um, and and that, so, so let, me, let me talk a little bit then about this idea of, you know, the dyad, right? Two people, two perspectives, two styles, two or more pleasure points for him, her, 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 him and him, them and her, them and him, you know, wh- whoever I'm, I'm working with in the coupling, um, they're, they're, my focus is twofold, um, you know, one person's pleasure and the partner's pleasure and sort of melding that together. It's, it's work, but hopefully in the end, you know, you get, well, <laughs> there's no, no end really. It's always evolving, but later <laughs> down the line, it becomes a richer experience. Um, I want couples to see sexuality as the window to making their own observations and choices, if you will. So if one sees oneself, one is also seen by one's partner. And this is sexuality, but this is also really intimacy. So to your point, Vicki, about when we're really working on ourselves and finding our way in the world, um, we're discovering ourselves, we're seeing ourselves. And that allows our partner to, to see us too, because we are growing. We are getting bigger, if you will. <laughs> and I don't mean in terms of weight. Uh, I just mean in terms of, you know, you can't keep, you shouldn't, well, I hate the word should. We, we oughtn't keep our, well, ought isn't a good word either, but it, it's, it's a, I encourage people to not keep themselves small. Keep growing right. because your relationships will be better. Um, and getting back to this idea of what's hot and what's not. Now, I know there's a, Emily Nagoski. I know she mm-hmm. has a, a whole thought process on, you know, the different ways couples can negotiate different ideas of, you know, what's hot for them and, you know, what's yes. not, you know. Yes. In her book, Come As You Are, particularly for women, she talks about um, how sexuality works. And, um, you know, she says, and I think she's right, no turn-ons are innate. You know, they are um, developed, they're learned, or they're paired you know, two, two things happening together. Um, so she talks about, I love this, the copulating rats, uh, the lemony rats and the, and the little rats that wear jackets. Yeah. <laughs> Such a cute little thing, I think. Uh, so, so let me just explain. Um, she, they did experiments where they paired uh, sex for rats, I think newly copulating rats. Uh, they, they paired it with the smell of lemons. So there would be these rats who would only get turned on when they smelled lemons. And they weren't getting turned on when they didn't smell lemons. Let's say they smelled, I don't know, basil, right? Mm-hmm. No turn on, no erection. 
um, or no lubrication. Um, <laughs> and then also the idea of the, the little jacketed rats, right? So there were some rats that they would put these little jackets on um, and, and create the sexual experience. So there was a pairing there of wearing a jacket and having sex mm-hmm. or, or being aroused. Um, so it, it's this idea that what's hot is completely subjective, you know, so when I have two people sitting in the room together and they're talking about one may be talking about what turns them on, like maybe it's something along the lines of even, you know, to take it into, say, kink or BDSM or something in their erotic fantasy that might be foreign to their partner. It's important to remember that uh, we can leave ourselves more open and expand our repertoire, not be so rigid and inflexible and consider what your partner is saying, even if you're not OK with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say that you can say, look, that's not anything I'm ever interested in doing. I'm never interested in smelling lemons while I'm wearing a jacket in bed with you. <laughs> However, here's what I prefer, right? Um, I prefer, uh, you know, reading an erotic novel in bed, or I prefer planning and thinking about the most beautiful B and B we're ever going to go to, uh, that's got a hot tub and it's my ideal, uh, fantasy vacation with you, which turns me on, um, you know, for women, it's a lot about context, right? So it's important to talk about what, what each one, uh, finds, finds to be the turn on. And again, it's, it's not anything we're born with. It's what, it's what we develop. It's what we experience and what we find that we're drawn to over time. And then communicating that, talking about that. It's so hard for people. They're so scared, understandably, because we just don't do it. It's just not a thing that happens. I think something else that you just said too, when you said, you said erotic fantasy, and Mm -hmm. then you were talking about a beautiful Airbnb with, you know, a hot tub or whatever. And I think a lot of the times too, just the word erotic fantasy has like a really negative connotation because the society Mm. and the world kind of made it have a really negative connotation where Mm. it doesn't necessarily have to. I know, um, Huh. You've talked about this a lot that, you know, sex is political and, you know, we, we explore the messages that we learn and we, and we kind of, um, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly believe them, like going back to mm-hmm. those beliefs and those myths, there's things that we've heard, like sex is mm-hmm. bad, you know, good girls don't all of those types of things. Mm-hmm. I think that's just one of those things that, uh, kind of gets wrapped up in it as well. Right. It's interesting you say that erotic fantasy has a negative connotation. Um, you know, eros is the uh, is a root for, I mean, it's rooted in, in the idea of love, mm-hmm. um, right? Sexual love, um, love. And fantasy, I mean, you know, how many writers have made, you know, right. their, their their beef on, on fantasy <laughs> yeah. novels? You know, um, the fantasy is a huge genre, right, that sells well. Um, is it forbidden? Oh, maybe. Maybe there's a little bit of that that's forbidden, but that that's what we're drawn to. Mm-hmm. So it, it's unfortunate that the words erotic fantasy have a negative connotation. I want to keep talking about them so people can get themselves sort of desensitized, steeped in it, so that we can begin to wrap our minds around it and begin to develop a positive relationship with that, with those ideas. Um, Absolutely. And again, yeah, erotic fantasy could just be that that B&B, 
Um, or that hot tub. It doesn't yeah. have to be anything that turns you off. And if something turns you off, you should say that to your partner while also maybe considering that it's something you may try someday because you love your partner. I'm not saying you have to or you should because consent is key. But leaving ourselves open to the idea of wanting to um, consider our partner and consider what's important to them. You know, it's it, funny. I was working with this couple and um, she said, you know, I just don't think about sex. It just doesn't come naturally. I said, oh, it's so normal and totally okay. Um, I said, so what What doesn't, I asked her partner, what doesn't come naturally to you? And her partner said, cleaning. <laughs> I said, okay. So what happens in the division of labor in your relationship around cleaning? And her partner said, well, every Saturday when she goes off to take the kids to practice, sports practice, I get out the vacuum cleaner and I do my cleaning gig. And I say, do you love it? Do you look forward to it? Of course, you know, this person said, absolutely not. I can't stand it. But I do it because I love her. Um, and so the conversation was about, you know, this this idea of planning because you um, or making a commitment or a choice to give your partner something that's important to them. And when she was hearing what her partner was saying, she said, hmm, that makes a lot of sense to me that that doesn't come naturally for my partner. Um, just like thinking about sex doesn't come naturally for me. But it's important to consider the other. Did you, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on today? I know you had a quote that you wanted to end with, but. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, uh, there is a beautiful quote, um, which makes me think of this idea. I'm going to say this and people might go, oh, that's so weird. <laughs> Schnark talks about reconciling our hearts with our genitals. Strange, right? <laughs> So couples have these separate but interlocking conflicts, just like that couple I just mentioned, that lovely couple where, you know, her partner cleans, right, even though her partner doesn't want to be cleaning. Um, and she's trying to figure out how to be thinking about sex more. And so we talk about planning that. So so here's that kind of um, reconciliation work for her in terms of her her heart and, and her sexuality. Um, and, and the quote that I really like that I think gets to the heart of this at some level is by Rainier Maria Rilke, a poet from 1929 in a, in a collection called Letters to a Young Poet. And the quote is the following. Perhaps all the dragons in our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us act just once with beauty and courage. Perhaps everything that frightens us is in its deepest essence something helpless that wants our love. That's beautiful. And so the thing we fear most is the thing that's probably the greatest opportunity for growth. Crazy how that works, right? <laughs> right. And sex is the way in. And so I'll be talking more about that as our podcasts continue. <laughs> so thanks, Vicki, for meeting with me here today. Thank you. And so I'd also like to thank Justin. Um, <laughs> Paul is not around today, but Justin's there in the back 
doing a great job as always, <laughs> kind of being my therapist. <laughs> Just like you, Vicky, my co-therapist here. Through this anxiety-provoking process. Anyway, You're thanks doing so much such for such a great job. Oh, thank you, Vicky. I appreciate it. So I look forward to seeing you next time, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And um, just so you know, you can find me on Facebook at the Sex and Couples Therapist. You can also find me on Instagram at the Happy Ending Therapist. If you'd like to reach out and call Donna Harris Richards for Sex and Couples Therapy, you can call my my phone number which is 508-990-9909 the website is sexandcouplestherapy.com and remember as always try to get as much play and pleasure and passion as you can and i look forward to seeing you next time bye-bye Woohoo! <laughs>